we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. If you'll turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll begin reading in verse number 35, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 35. This chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians has been dealing with the truth of the resurrection, a truth and a doctrine that was under attack in Corinth. And not only is it under attack or was it under attack in Corinth, uh, this doctrine has been under attack since the resurrection took place. Beginning with the religious leaders who told the guards at the tomb to concoct a lie and say that the disciples came and stole the body of Christ away. Uh, Satan and those who have rejected the Lord Jesus have been actively seeking uh, to deny the truth of the resurrection of Christ. But as we're discovering in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, in chapter 15, that this truth of the resurrection is, is a truth uh, that really is a key, uh, a keystone doctrine of the Christian faith. If you remove this truth of the resurrection, uh, then you have undermined the Christian faith. We're thankful for the death of Christ, but if there's no resurrection, uh, then we have no hope. And as Paul said, if we have hope only in this life in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Our hope is in the life to come. And as David testified this morning concerning the coming king, his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is of the world to come. And so we're discovering the truth of the resurrection. And uh, we've come to verse number 35. The Bible says, but some will say, some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. 
And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not the first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. I want to speak to you this evening on this subject, the resurrection body. The resurrection body. As I mentioned, the doctrine of the resurrection was under attack in Corinth. And as we noted last week, Paul asked three questions, or he asked questions concerning uh, three truths. If there is no resurrection, he asked basically this question, what is the point? What is the point? What is the point of salvation? If there is no resurrection, what is it that we're being saved from, and what is it that we're being saved for? If there's no heaven to gain, then why would anyone need to receive Christ as Savior? Then he asked, or he brought this question in the light of service. What, what is the point of salvation? What is the point of service? Why am I jeopardizing my life? Why am I giving my life to serve the Lord? Why, why am I enduring these trials and difficulties if there is no resurrection? And then he asked the question, what is the point of sanctification? Why is it that we should try to live a holy life if there is no resurrection life, if there is no accountability to God, if this ends at all, then what is the point? And so he asked that question as he is, as he is reasoning, as he is arguing the truth of the doctrine of the resurrection. He asked those questions. But here in these verses, verses 35 through 49, he is answering their question. He's answering their question. And we see their question in verse 35. How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Now, this question is not being asked by a group of sincere people who really want to know, although Paul's going to give an answer to sincere people who really want to know. This question is being asked by skeptics and cynics and false teachers. For example, there were the Gnostics, and the Gnostics were uh, those who had a corrupting influence in the church. They taught that all matter was evil. They taught that the human body was evil. And therefore, to have a resurrection body, uh, they argued, would be sinful and wicked. There were those who brought misinformation, such as those Gnostics and other false teachers concerning the resurrection of the body. And then there were misconceptions in the church, misunderstandings about the resurrection body. Would the same body that was planted into the ground with all of its weaknesses and all its frailties and its diseases, would that same body then come up out of the ground? Would we have to live in subjection to that body throughout all eternity? Those were some questions and, and, and misconceptions concerning the resurrection. So Paul is going to answer the critics, and he's going to give an answer for those who truly want to know. 
concerning the resurrection body. Now, I've got to tell you, this 15th chapter has been a difficult one for me to, to present to you and uh, to follow always the logic of Paul and to present it clearly, but I'm going to take a stab at it tonight in a way that I hope you can grasp. Uh, Mr. Brown told me after Sunday evening when we looked at uh, those questions from last week and we looked at that 29th verse in particular, which is a difficult verse for us to understand concerning the baptism for the dead. Why are some being baptized for the dead? Uh, Mr. Brown, he just, uh, he, he reminded me that that was a tough passage. <laughs> I think he was being sympathetic. I think he was trying to encourage me. Uh, and I thought, well, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here because I, I, I've been studying it and trying to grasp hold of it in a way that, that I think I can communicate clearly to you that hopefully you'll be able to receive it and understand it. And so we'll take a stab at it tonight. And uh, as you can imagine, we have three headings, all right? So let me give you the first one. Uh, in answering this question, number one, Paul discussed the dynamics of the resurrection body. He discussed the dynamics of the resurrection body. Uh, look again, if you would, in verse 36. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now, Paul begins to discuss the dynamics of the resurrection body by illustrating the resurrection with an everyday example that we can all relate to, or I imagine most of us can relate to, planting seeds, planting a seed. And seeing that seed which is planted in the ground, after it is planted, after it has been watered, after a period of time takes place, we begin to see something growing up out of the ground. We see a growth. And depending on the type of the seed, for example, it could be a rose or some other type of a flower. And it will eventually grow up and, and bloom and will enjoy its beauty. Or it could be a vegetable. Uh, we plant seeds often. We till the garden. We plant the seeds. And then we might have corn or we might have uh, beans, whatever it is that we plant, tomatoes, for example. Uh, there are seeds for those, those vegetables that we plant into the ground. Uh, it may be fruits. We plant apple seeds and uh, a tree will come forth eventually, and as it grows, eventually it will begin to bear fruit and we'll be able to enjoy the apple. So he gives them an example, an illustration, a picture to help them understand the resurrection, to clear up their misconceptions and to correct the misinformation that was going around. The body that you're going to have after the resurrection is not the same as the body you have now. That's essentially what he's saying. Now, he, he points out some things here in verse 36. First of all, 
that this resurrection body begins with death. It begins with death. He said, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So when you put the seed in the ground, you're burying the seed. And, and what is seen of the seed, it, it, it falls away. But as it falls away, it gives way to a new life, a new form of life. I mean, imagine if you planted a seed in the ground and you just simply got more seeds. Typically, for example, we eat watermelon this time of the year. We don't enjoy the seeds, right? We, we get rid of the seeds. As the seed is planted into the ground, the seed begins to deteriorate. The shell of the seed, the husk of the seed, begins to, to decay and fall away. But from that, when planted in the ground, when supplied by the sun and the rain, a life comes forth. So as we think about the dynamics of the resurrection body, we understand that it begins with death. Jesus said in John 12 and verse 24 concerning his own death, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Through his death, much fruit would be produced. You're evidence of that fruit tonight. And so the Lord gives us this principle that the corn has to be sown. It has to die, the seed of the corn. Then it eventually emerges from the soil, but it is completely different. There's a green stalk. And on the green stalk are ears of corn. And you pull up, uh, up the leaves off and the, the corn silk off. And then you have an ear of corn, something that you can enjoy, something that you can eat, something that will nourish you. You plant a seed for an apple tree, just a, a small seed. But what comes forth from that eventually over the years will be an apple tree. And that apple tree will produce apples and you'll be able to enjoy those sweet apples. So when we think about the dynamics of the resurrection body, we understand that the resurrection body begins with death. When we die, our bodies are planted into the ground, and the resurrection life that comes is something that results from our death. We see something else about this dynamic is that the resurrection body becomes something different. Again in verse 37, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and every seed his own body. Note that phrase, not the body that shall be. It is a different body. So he's answering the critics who say, well, if you bury a dead person and then they raise again, aren't, aren't they essentially uh, risen with the same body that they had? Therefore, they have the same problems and therefore they still are dealing with sin. That's what the Gnostics would have said. But Paul is pointing out it's not the same body. It's different. It's different. John Phillips says in his commentary that uh, Paul is avoiding two pitfalls here. He does not teach that the body 
raised is the exact corpse that was buried, but our identity does survive. So our corpse, our body, it deteriorates. It returns to the ground. It returns to the dust. We understand that. So our resurrection body is not the same body, but yet our identity, the way we are known as individuals, it survives. The disciples recognized, he says, the Lord's resurrection body, but how did they recognize it? Because remember the two on the road to Emmaus, they didn't know who he was. And in fact, when he called Mary's name, until he called her name, she wasn't sure who he was. She thought he was just uh, some gardener. Remember that? But when he called her name, when he spoke her name, she knew it was him. When Thomas put the hands in the nail prints and in the wound of his side, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Paul avoids another pitfall, Phillips writes, saying, for he does not say that the resurrection body is a different body altogether. There is a mysterious blending of the old and the new. We can't describe what that is, but we know that it's true. The Lord Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples, what did he do? He conversed with them. He invited them to touch him. Uh, when he appeared to them on the Sea of Galilee, he was cooking fish and bread, and he ate with them. And so we see that the resurrected body is not a totally different body altogether, but it is different. And so what do we draw from this? That our resurrection body will be unlike our current body. And that each of our bodies will be unique. We will be known the way that we are known. We won't all look the same. We won't all be uh, 33 and a half year old copies of Christ in physical appearance. We'll be known as we are known. What example do we have from that? Well, remember Moses and Elijah appeared on the mountain of transfiguration, they were distinguishable. And so we see here the dynamics of the resurrection body. Secondly, we see that Paul discussed the dimensions of the resurrection body. The dimensions. In verse 39, he speaks of fleshly bodies. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. He's speaking of his creation. He's speaking of flesh. Those beings that he made, those creatures that he made, men are distinct because they, unlike the animals, are made in the image of God. But all of those beings, beasts, fishes, birds, have flesh, and their flesh is different. The structure of their cells are different, and they're unique. And Paul is pointing this out. And as men and women with fleshly bodies, we are subject to the laws of gravity. We're subject uh, to the restraints of fleshly, earthly bodies. We are tied to this earth. In verse 40, he says this, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial 
is one. He's speaking concerning the celestial bodies of the heavenly bodies. And the glory of the terrestrial, that's the earthly bodies, is another. So there's a comparison here between heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. For example, the sun is a ball of energy. It disseminates light throughout the universe. It gives heat. It warms the earth. It brings life to the earth, the sun. The moon is the lesser light, God called it in creation. And the moon is simply a reflecting uh, form of matter which reflects the glory of the sun. So the light of the moon is not a light that it has within itself. The, the moon just simply shines the light of the sun at night. It reflects the light of the sun. So he speaks of the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, which also shine within themselves. And he says this, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Now, we cannot count the sand of the shore and we cannot count the stars in the sky. They're innumerable. Remember, God said to Abraham, your seed is going to be like the stars of the sky. Now, oftentimes today in our modern world, our cities are lit up and, and uh, we cannot see uh, the vast galaxy. But if we were in a place where there weren't artificial light and we were able to look up on a clear night, we could perhaps see many, many more stars than what we would normally see. And what we discover is that the stars of this universe are vast, but they are all different. They are all unique, and all human beings are unique. We're all different. We have different personalities. We, we look different. Uh, our, our, our makeup is different. Uh, our fingerprints, for example, distinguish us and identify us. There are many similarities, but there are many differences. Well, what is Paul speaking of here? He's speaking of the differences. He's speaking of the dimensions of the resurrection body. We are bound to this earth. One of our men years ago who was diagnosed with a terminal disease said to me, he said, I, I, I find myself not wanting to, to leave. I find myself not wanting to die. And he was conflicted in his heart if that's the way he should feel. And, and, and my answer to him was, well, we're made from the earth. God formed our bodies from the dust of the ground. We're made from the earth. We're tied to this earth. All the life that we know, everything that is dear to us in our human relationships are here on this earth, with the exception, of course, of God the Father and God the Son and those who've gone before us. But this is our experience. This is what we see and this is what we know. That's why we have this instinct to live. Now, Paul, after he had ascended up into the heavens, we believe it was Paul, we believe he's speaking of himself, a vision in heaven. He said, I saw things that I just can't utter. He used the expression, it's not lawful for me. In fact, many commentators tell us that Paul was actually also, in addition to that, saying this, I don't have the ability in the human language to describe what I saw. 
what I heard, what I experienced. In fact, the Bible tells us, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them who love him. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So imagine what he's prepared. We, we're limited in our imagination. We cannot really begin to comprehend it. But what Paul saw in those moments, if it was Paul he was speaking of, and we believe it was, what was seen in those moments had such an impact on him that he said this, I have a desire to depart and go there, which is far better. Far better than anything we've known. The idea behind it is if we knew how wonderful it was, we wouldn't want to spend another minute here. We'd want to be there. Sometimes we talk about our loved ones and say, well, he, would, he wouldn't come back or she wouldn't come back if they could. Well, that's an understatement. We can't begin to comprehend what God has in store for us. You see, here, our, our bodies are tied to the earth. We, we are constrained by time. We are constrained by the laws of gravity. But we know that Jesus in his resurrection body was able to walk through walls. He was able to appear. He was able to disappear. We think about Philip the evangelist caught up in the spirit, right? Preaching revival. He went up to preach revival, and as he's preaching revival, what happens? He's led of God to go speak to a, an Ethiopian eunuch and gives that man the gospel. That eunuch is saved and baptized, and he looks up later to speak to Philip, and where's Philip? He's gone. He's not there. You see, our resurrection bodies will not be constrained by time and space and gravity. It's a new dimension, and that's what Paul is telling us here. Well, then let me give you a third thought here, and that is that Paul discussed the distinctions of the resurrection body, the distinctions of the resurrection body. What is different about it? Well, he compares it and contrasts it to our current body. Uh, notice, if you would here, in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So the first distinction concerning our resurrection body is that the resurrection body will be raised incorruptible. It will be raised incorruptible. Today, as we live upon this earth, we live in bodies that are utterly corrupt. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole earth, groaneth, uh, uh, the whole creation rather, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We are in the bondage of corruption. And the body is sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. 
Our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies are prone uh, to illness and sickness. Uh, we are prone in our flesh to, to all sorts of corruptions of mind and emotion and misunderstanding and, 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 and looking at the negative rather than the positive. Uh, we are sown in corruption. This body, this flesh is dying and decaying but it will be raised an incorruptible body. There will be no more disease, no more cancer, no more bad attitudes and bad days and unkind words. We're not prone to mood swings. We're, we're not prone to misunderstanding. And our bodies will be incorruptible. The resurrection body will be raised incorruptible. Then secondly, as he talks of the distinctions in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. The word dishonor speaks of shame and disgrace. But the resurrection body that is sown in shame and disgrace will be raised in glory. This word dishonor is translated in, in Romans 9, 20, 21 as vile, speaking of our passions. We are prone to wickedness and vile passions, vile desires, carnal lusts, lusts that bring dishonor. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I want to do that which is right but I can't do it. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I keep doing it. And we all read Romans 7 and we say, that's me. And then Paul says this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Our bodies are sown in dishonor, but they're raised in glory. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 the Bible said, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change, aren't you glad to hear this, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We won't have to struggle anymore in the resurrection body with the temptation of sin, with evil thoughts, with not loving our brother, with, 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 with false accusation or making false accusation or accusing our brethren. We won't have to deal with those temptations and trials, those vile affections, those vile lusts of the body. We won't deal with those in the resurrection, aren't you glad? So when we think of these distinctions, we see that the resurrection body will be raised incorruptible. Nothing can corrupt it. It will be raised in glory, without sin, in righteousness, in perfection. Then we see the resurrection body, thirdly, will be raised in power. It will be raised in power. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The Lord Jesus said to the disciples, can you watch and pray with me for one hour? I think they wanted to, don't you? They could see how heavy he was, how burdened he was. 
He sweat as if it were great drops of blood, the Bible tells us. But they couldn't do it. Why? Because they were weak. They were physically weak. Spiritually, perhaps, yes, but physically weak. The body is weak. It is prone to weakness, physical weakness and spiritual weakness. We do not possess the strength and ability to do what we need to do. He said, I have prayed for you that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what the word of God tells us. But one of these days, we're going to have a body of power. You know, we all watch our phones nowadays, don't we? I mean, oh my goodness, my phone is at 50%. I got to find a charger. And we'll have wrestling matches over who gets the charger, right? My kids will be in the car. Yeah, I'm hitting, I'm hitting a note with somebody, right? My kids are in the car, and, you know, my phone's on 12%, and I plug it in, and theirs is at 73, and they're getting concerned, right? And, and by the way, I, I do the same thing. I'm not just picking on my kids. But think about it. Sometimes we just wish that we could just plug into a charger, my wife said to me, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. Well, you're acting like, you know, something's bothering you. Something, no, nothing, nothing's bothering me. And really it wasn't. I was just, maybe I'm tired. Maybe, maybe it's one of those rare occasions when I just want to close my mouth and not engage it. And I just don't feel like saying much. I can't explain it to you. I don't know why it happens. But every once in a while, you just get that way, right? You, you, the, the body just kind of wears down. The mind just kind of wears down. You, you're weak, and, and the outward man is perishing. We're not as sharp as we used to be. We're not as strong as we used to be. I have some mornings when I, I go down the steps, and I don't have any problem. I'm... I'm feeling good. I'm like, man, I'm 25 years old again. And then I have some mornings where I have to waddle like a duck to get down the stand. I asked Brother Odom the other day. It made me feel better. I appreciate his comfort. I said, do you ever have days? I mean, it was when all this rain was happening the last few days. I said, do you ever have days when you're just stiff and you can't hardly move? He said, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you're in real trouble. I mean, he's a little younger than me. Not much, but a little bit younger than I am. My grandfather used to, you know, he could predict the weather by the way he felt, you know, and talk about his arthritis. And I remember as a kid just kind of thinking that was funny, almost like a comical sense. My mother's often said, I can't wait to see you, you know, you know, I'm going to see you reap what you've sown. And, and it's happening. I just want you to know. And it will happen to you too, by the way. The outward man is perishing but praise be unto God the inward man is renewed day by day and when we enter into resurrection life we won't have a charger that we need we've got a built in charger it's the spirit of God it's the power of God it's resurrection life 
It's raised in power. Your body will never wear out. You'll never get sick. You will never have a temptation that overtakes you. You will not stumble and you will not fall and you will not grow old. Your body will be, as Phillips writes, an invincible fortress, an incredible force at the disposal of the Lord for the development of all his future plans for the universe. I remember Miss Abernathy, if you remember her, Louise Abernathy, up in her 90s. When I first came here, she introduced herself to me. She said, I'm one of the teenagers. Her and Doris used to take trips. Doris Housie used to take a lot of trips together. They had a lot of energy. And I remember going to see Miss Abernathy, she drew to her closing days, and she had Bell's palsy, and, and uh, she was afflicted. She couldn't hear, and uh, she was living with her daughter. And uh, I would go and see her and talk to her from time to time and have prayer with her. And this is what she would often say to me. She says, I, I don't feel like I can do anything for the Lord. I, I don't feel like I can be used of God. I, I want to be used of God. I don't know exactly why God is leaving me here. And I always tried to encourage her with this. You are being used of God every day. She said, all I can do is pray. I said, and that's all that we need done. I was listening to you pray on Wednesday night in our prayer meeting, and I could hear the voices of God's people praying, and I could hear one in particular that was praying, and, and it touched me. And I think that as we grow older and more frail, we recognize more the significance and the power of prayer. And we want to be utilized and we want to be used. And we are often dismayed and discouraged by the fact that we don't have the energy to do what we used to do but now we're doing what we perhaps neglected to do before that can make the biggest difference, and that's pray. But there is coming a time in the resurrection where we'll never run out. We'll never get tired. We will be, as Phillips writes, an incredible force at the disposal of the Lord for the development of all his future plans. We're going to serve God for all eternity. Praise God. The resurrection body will be raised in power. And then fourthly, the resurrection body will be raised a spiritual body. The resurrection body will be raised a spiritual body. It is sown a natural body, verse 44, made of the earth, right? Tied to the earth, formed from the dust of the ground. But it is raised a spiritual body. Well, what does that look like? Help me understand that. Paul says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Remember now, God formed him from the dirt and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So Adam was just a body, an inanimate object lying there. 
perfectly formed, but until God breathed life into him, he had no life. When God breathed life into him, he gave him physical life and he gave him spiritual life at one time. When Adam sinned against God, he retained his physical life, but he lost his spiritual life. And so the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus, he was made a quickening spirit. Jesus Christ is the source of life. The word quickening means to, to give life. He is the source of life. Verse 46, Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Our first birth is the natural birth. We're born as children in our children of Adam. We're in Adam. And afterward, when we receive Christ as Savior, that which is spiritual, the life that Adam lost becomes ours when we receive the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 47, the first man is of the earth earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven, as is the earth, or as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. That's why we mind the things of the earth. We have the, the, this life of the flesh that is tied to the earth. But and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. When we receive Christ, we receive heavenly life, resurrection life, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So when we think about our resurrection life and our resurrection body, what example do we have? Well, we have the post-resurrection life of Christ. And we bear his image. John put it this way in 1 John 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God if we've received Jesus. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's what we have to look forward to. Resurrection life. The gray hair is gone, but not completely gone. The lost hair is restored. Amen. All that weight you want to lose, you'll be able to lose it. You handsome devil, you, you're going to look good in the resurrection. You're not going to get worn out. You're not going to be prone to temptation. You're not going to be limited by this earth. It'll be a glorious life. Oh, isn't God good? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.